And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to another Wine Chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack, on this chilly day three below zero. Hey, Denny. Gal. Gee. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we need you some can always warm up inside with a glass of wine, that's I, for sure. I think that's the first order of business tonight, for sure. <laughs> what are we going to chat, uh, chat about you today? Know, today I thought we'd do something we do occasionally and we haven't done in a long time, is answer some listeners' questions oh, good. about wines. So put on your educational hat. Here we go. Uh, one I get all the time is, why bother learning about wine? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, and it's kind of a lengthy answer. In my opinion, first and foremost, it enhances any kind of social experience. And, you know, wine at its heart is a beverage that's enjoyed in the company of others. A little bit of wine knowledge goes a long way, and it opens the doors to new flavor, style, and adventures. And you can share this with your family and friends. It also increases, when you learn about wine, your confidence in buying wine. When you go into a wine shop and you feel overwhelmed, uh, what do you buy the wine on? Ratings you've read about, a referral of the wine clerk, etc. If you know a little bit, you can feel a little more confident yourself in making those decisions. And if you learn a little bit about wine, you improve your taste buds and you improve uh, your olfactory operation. You know, when you evaluate a wine, the five things you look for, two have to do with the sense of smell. And uh, it isn't an exercise in snobbery when you see someone swilling and smelling a wine. It only takes a second to develop a little more awareness of what you're drinking. And it, then it's not limited only to wine. You'll find if you do that, everything tastes a little better to you because you're starting to use the taste buds uh, that you have. And uh, that one of the things I've always said, being in the wine business forever, uh, sometimes women have much, much better taste uh, facilities than men do. And the reason is I don't think they're inherently born with better. They use them. They, they correct seasonings when they're cooking, etc. So they use their taste buds. And if you use it, you become more conscious of it. So in addition to enjoying wine, you're going to enjoy foods more. And the wine world is such a large one. And learning about it is a real opportunity. Everybody has a favorite sports team or movie, uh, etc. That's okay with wine, too. And, you know, if you know a little bit about wine, you'll never have to drink a bad bottle again. So stay in the know. It's, it's an easy thing to do. I think it's a good thing to take a little time to learn about wine. I know this is a lengthy answer, but it, it does a lot of things for you, uh, among which will increase your, uh, as I say, enjoyment of wine. You want to share wine with your family and friends, and that just makes the whole experience that much better. One of the other ones I got is, uh, what about sulfites in wine? Well, a lot of people are allergic to sulfites, and they're generally sulfites uh, occur naturally in wine. But they add sulfur dioxide to wine as an antibacterial agent when they make wine. And the result is there's sulfites in the wine. If you want to dissipate the sulfites, have somebody who's not allergic uh, decant the wine back and forth. In other words, pour it from the bottle into a pitcher, from the pitcher into another pitcher. Do that four or five times, and all the sulfites get dissipated. Uh, what does the year on a bottle mean? That's the vintage 
year, and that means the wine was harvested in that year. If it says 2008 on the bottle, the wine was produced in 2008. The only time there's a change on that is sometimes with late bottled vintage ports and things like that. But generally, that's the year of the harvest. It doesn't mean it was the year it was bottled, but it's the year uh, that the wine was produced. Uh, If a wine has raspberries on the nose, which I apparently said last week, uh, there was a scent. Did that mean they added raspberries to it? No, it's just a reference, (coughs) excuse me, and a descriptive term. So you can hang your hat. Everybody knows what raspberries smell like. And once in a while, you'll get a trace of raspberries in a particularly fruity wine. Uh, Are tannins bad? No. Tannins really are very good and would give wine spine and longevity. Uh, Tannins are the things you really want to taste tannin. Try uh, having a cup of black tea and taste the aftertaste of a very strong cup of black tea. That's 100% tannin. Wine don't have that much tannin as is in tea, but there are tannins, and tannins are what give wine its longevity. Those tannins dissipate, and for example, if you're having a wine that's 30 years old, most of the tannins are gone by that time, and the wine is mellowed out. And somebody asked me, how much wine... Does a wine vine produce? Well, that's all over the board. Actually, the great Chateau Yaquem, which is one of the sweet wines of the world and one of the great sweet wines of the world from Bordeaux, they claim they get one glass per vine. Some, most, a general good rule of thumb is about a bottle per vine. It takes about a kilo of grapes to make a, a bottle of wine. A kilo's a little over two pounds, and that's generally what you harvest from one thing. Some places harvest more than that, but a good rule of thumb is one bottle uh, per vine. I had a friend ask me about what are legs in wine. When you swill a glass of wine around, you'll see glycol slowly run down the side of the wine glass, and that glycol is usually a sign of the alcohol content of the wine, and the legs don't really mean very much. A wine can have wonderful legs and not be such a good wine, and a wine can have bad legs and be absolutely delicious. So I don't usually put much credibility to uh, legs on wine, but now you know at least what they are. Uh, If I buy wine, should I lay it down? No, Frankly, most wine is made to be drunk in the year it's made. Something It's an incredible statistic, but like about 90-some percent of the wines produced in the world are made to be drunk that year that they're made. So when we're talking about aging wines, we're talking about a very small, probably single digit uh, of the wine production of the world. And you really should know a little bit about wine before you start considering that. Because not all wines age very well. Uh, Most wines are meant to be consumed within four or five years of their production. And that would include, you know, hundreds and hundreds of wines. So, But uh, the ones that are made to sell her away reward you unbelievably with uh, the mellowness and the development the wine is. You want a big wine for laying down like a Bordeaux or a Cabernet Sauvignon or a big Rhone wine from Chateauneuf-du-Pape or Hermitage or one of those places in the Rhone Valley 
or you know, great Australian Cabernet or Syrah. Uh, those, <coughs> excuse me, those can be laid away and reward you beautifully. But be careful when you're laying away in wine. Make sure you've contacted somebody who knows something about wine and let you know whether it's a good thing to lay away. I had a dear friend once who bought a whole bunch of wine in a vintage in California, and he tucked it away in a warehouse out in California. And about eight or ten years after he purchased it, he called me up. He said, no, what's this worth? And I said, absolutely nothing. Well, he was crestfallen. But the wine was badly chosen and had fallen apart. It wasn't good anymore. And so you have to be very, very careful of that. Another thing, and no, this wasn't a question, but I'm just going to touch on it in a minute, is wine as an investment. Well, as I tell everybody, it's a great investment if you plan to liquidate it at your dining room table. Otherwise, wine doesn't make a very good investment. Half of the time that you buy a vintage like my friend did in California, you end up losing everything. And the other half of the time, uh, the reward portion is maybe 10%. So most investors would tell you that's not good odds when it's 10 to 1 against you. Should you decant red wines? Well, that's an open question, in my opinion. Uh, All wines benefit from decanting. They don't all need decanting, but they do benefit from it. All you're doing when you're decanting a wine is aerating it. Unless the wine is very old when you're decanting it to pour it off the leaves or the sediment that's at the bottom of the glass, that is important to do because you don't want to be the one that gets the end of the bottle where it's all sediment. But So decanting red wine can't hurt, uh, isn't necessary most of the time, but it will improve the flavor, I think. Uh, this is a, uh, always a question. What temperature should I serve wine at? Well, in my opinion, red wine should be served about 65, 66 degrees. White wine should be served at about 45 to 46 degrees. Uh, if you have some wine that you know, you're just not so sure about, practically freeze it. Serve it ice cold and everybody will drink it and like it because when the wine is that cold, uh, the flavors are depressed. So most white wines are drunk uh, too warm and are too cold. I'm sorry. And most red wines are drunk too warm. So if you follow that logic of the, the temperatures I just gave you, I think you'll be very pleased about 65, 68 for red and about uh, between 45 and 50 for a white. And it should be a, a delicious temperature to serve it at. Are some wines not suitable for vegetarians? Well, not really, but if you're a real uh, vegetarian and absolute follows everything to the letter, a lot of the wines, the things that are used to clarify, filter, and fine wine are organic, sometimes egg whites, sometimes gelatin, which can be made from animal bones, that type of thing. The only way to be absolutely sure, is sometimes they'll put a seal on the bottle, suitable for vegetarian. That way you're absolutely sure they're not using that kind of finding method. Most wine merchants, if they're close to their vendor uh, and producer of wine, can tell you which ones uh, don't use gelatin uh, and use other things. Because there are other alternative uh, uh, filtering agents that are synthetic and perfectly fine for vegetarians. Uh, what makes a wine sweet? Well, 
Grapes are always sweet, and really what makes a wine sweet is that reduction. And, you know, in Germany they call it the noble, noble rot. And what happens is those grapes dry out a little on the vine and almost look like raisins, and that's how they come to, in Germany, all the various sweetness of wines. The driest in Germany would be a wine called Cabinet, and the sweetest would be something called Trockenbeer and Ausleis, or uh, ice wine. Ice wine is kind of interesting, in case you wondered what that is. That's grapes that they, where the grapes freeze on the vine. They take the grape and crush the grape without crushing the ice on the inside. So that water that froze inside the grape, all you have is the extract juice of the grape itself. And that's why Trockenbeer and Ausleis wines are always very, very expensive and delicious. Can you make rosé out of any wine? Yes, absolutely, no problem. All rosés are is the wine is left in contact with the skin a little longer to give it a pink color. And, you know, sometimes they make rosés blending, not too often. Sometimes they use it by bleeding. That's not too often either. What it really is used for is they use red grapes and they crush them lightly and take the skins and the pips away immediately. That's why rosé wines are generally light and fruity. And uh, is the color important in a rosé wine? Well, I'd say uh, yes. I mean, they're really to be admired when you look at the color of a rosé wine. Some of them are so dark they look almost like a red wine. Others are so pale you'd almost swear they're white wine. But the range of taste is just marvelous. And... Uh, Rosés are very, very popular uh, nowadays. And I was in a restaurant the other night, and I noticed two or three people were having rosés as an aperitif. And it's a great aperitif, believe me. Oh, that sounds great, Jack. This is, uh, I'm glad, and I know our listeners are too, when you do this from time to time, this educational uh, bit here on the wine chat. But let's talk a little bit about Haskell's before you take your leave today. Yes, indeed. You know what we have at Haskell's? A rosé bouquet that you can both share. A wonderful collection, six bottles of rosé from all over the world, including a sparkling rosé from France. And it's just marvelous. Six bottles of rosé wine, just think, uh, giving your sweetheart a a beautiful bouquet of roses, of rosés, we'll say. And I think it's only seventy nine ninety nine for six bottles. They so have six opportunities to try different rosés from around the world. And at Haskell's, you have the opportunity to taste many, many wines all the time. We always have bottles open on Saturday and Sunday to taste. Come in and try something. I'm sure the folks at Haskell's will help you pick the perfect wine to accompany whatever dish you're going to prepare. And best of all, they'll help you pick a wine that doesn't break the bank. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big, big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington. There's a Haskell's in Excelsior. Incidentally, tomorrow morning in Excelsior, they're having the dog sled races. Go in there and uh, have a glass of wine and watch the dog races. Fairbowl, right off of 35. Maple Grove Supercellar is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's in Minnetonka, Plymouth, St. Paul, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver. Thank you, Jack. You stay warm. Let's talk next week. I'm going to look forward to that, Denny. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.